Boomers, welcome once again to Sonic the Comic the Podcast, Woo! your fortnightly guide to the Sega Sational world of the 1990s and the UK's official Sega comic, Sonic the Comic, like it says in the title. We, as always, are your humans who think we're in charge. I am Chris McFeely. And I am Dave Bulmer, and I'm covered in tats this fortnight. Covered in tats, Chris. Covered in tat, surely. That's your default state, isn't it? <laughs> I mean tats as in tattoos, Chris. I'm covered in them head to foot. I resemble a big Sonic the Comic branding pamphlet. <laughs> what am I talking about? <laughs> yes, this is issue number 22 of Sonic the Comic, uh, released on the 19th of March, 1994, cover dated April 1st, 1994. And this issue came with free STC tattoos for a cool new you. Now, regrettably... We don't have the tattoos here, sadly. No, we don't. I do not have the physical tattoos with me. I thought you might have still had them in your box of secrets or something, but obviously as an artistic youth, you used them in some capacity or another. These would have got used. These would have got very, very used, yeah. I would never have put them on my skin, that's the thing, because that, to me, that means that they go on, and then they get washed off, and then the free gift that came with STC is gone forever, and I was an archivist. Mm -hmm. So, my best guess as to what I will have done with these is, I think, to the best of my ability, and this is not easy with such a thing as a transferable tattoo, is I would have put them on my bed. And my bed still remains, and it does have things like this on, and I have in I have in my mind. So for here, we, we've got one that says, "I hate Robotnik." Now, listeners, we're looking at the uh, the picture of the tattoos. We don't have them, but mm. they printed a picture of the entire set on the back page of the previous issue, and that's what I'm looking at here. There's one that says, "I hate Robotnik," with a clip art Robotnik head in the middle, and that is very familiar to me as a disintegrating and peeling and dissolving image on my bed so i'm pretty sure i did put that one on there fair enough it stuck for a while though not not in any particularly brilliant way what else we got on there well we should say yeah they these are bespoke stc tattoos like there are mm -hmm. a few generic yeah. images like clip art images of sonic one of his head one of him doing the finger pose but otherwise yeah like we have stc's tails logo that we were talking about last issue we've mm -hmm. got one of a uh, head from decapitac yeah um, the stc logo itself not the logo from the cover of the comic that is but the literal stc logo the one from we previously the saw from the belt on the belt clip <laughs> <laughs> uh, we've got a shinobi sword and uh, a Japanese character. A Megadroid one that says Droid Power. Yeah. A little bicep heart with an arrow through it that says <laughs> Amy. A, a little glimpse into the future with the Pirate Sega television skull. Yeah. Little did we know at the time. <laughs> and uh, this one is, is burned into my memory, this last one. Um, it's a uh, black and white star and around it are the letters HWA. Yes. Now, do you, do you remember what HWA stands for? Of course I do. Hedgehog with attitude. <laughs> Just... <laughs> I don't believe I knew at the time, but I do remember that in a couple of issues time, someone sends a letter uh. in asking, what on earth does HWA stand for? And Megadroid offers a couple of comedic alternatives before saying it's hedgehog with attitude. Uh, you see, now I was already down with that abbreviation because... You were down with STC? Yeah, you know me. Yeah. <laughs> HWA was credited as the artist behind the single Supersonic. Ah, that was a fun little joke itself referencing NWA, I'm sure. 
But uh, oh. it was from that that, I, yes, I figured out that it was Hedgehog with Attitude then. And if we uh, look under the tattoos, metaphorically speaking, we'll see the cover for this issue. <laughs> Following on from last issue's cliffhanger. Yeah. This is another Carl Flint cover as images of Sonic and Amy look down at Robotnik's fists bursting out of the egg that he encased himself in last issue. Yes, and it says, Cracked Robotnik's big change. We didn't know yet what the new Robotnik was going to be, but we that were in the know, as soon as we saw this cover, we could we could figure it out. Yes. Because the gloves gave it away. The gloves gave it away, yeah. It's a, it's a, as covers go, very, very exciting for the likes of us. Not really much of an eye-catcher for people who aren't already aware of this cliffhanger. So this, I think, is one mm. of the early examples of a cover that's just for STC readers, rather than one saying, like, hey, Sega kids, buy this, even if you don't know what it is. I mean, it didn't matter much anyway, because there was a sheet of tattoos over a lot of it. True. <laughs> but we get our first full and proper look at the new Robotnik, essentially, as soon as we open the comic. This is a, it's a little touch that I actually quite like. We'll get to the full strip in a second, but the first page of the Sonic strip, which is the third page of the magazine, that is to say the first comics page, once you open it, there's the inside front cover, and to the right there is... There he is. ...the new Robotnik bursting out of his shell. There's no way you haven't seen it. You know, yes, the, uh, so, and that's uh, so there. But what I love is in the in Megadroid's welcome screen, he specifically <laughs> says, "Check out Doctor Robotnik's new look opposite." Who's he kidding? Do you think he looks more impressive? Let STC know. And I genuinely love that in a <laughs> way that's hard to describe. It's it's one of those things. It's an acknowledgement of the comic as a physical object. It's the, it's the yeah. bringing of the comic as a physical object into the experience of reading it. And sometimes yeah. you see it's it's a rare little touch but you see it in some in comics sometimes where you know uh, you may have to turn a comic around to follow speech bubbles that that in in a, in a page that's designed to disorient or I remember a Grant Morrison comic called um, Ultra Comics I think it was called where the idea that you were a person holding a physical comic and reading it was part of the story and the mm. the physicality of the thing was brought into the experience of reading it. And it's it's just a little thing, but I do love it. I love it a lot. Yeah. And uh, Robotnik's not the only one that's got a new look. Check out this control zone. There's something distinctly different about it. Yeah. I don't know that it's necessarily a new look as it is that somebody forgot to change the font. <laughs> well, uh, I suppose, have you looked at the next issue to see if it matches up? Because it could simply be that someone forgot to change the font, yes. I haven't checked, but I am pretty sure that's all it is. <laughs> no. Well, it makes it look quite distinctly different. There's it a does. big roundness to it. I prefer this font, honestly. Mm. It's more readable. Uh, yes, actually, it is. And it, it it does, it makes it look like an update rather than a step back, I But think. I'm pretty sure it's just a little goof. <laughs> <laughs> well, because apart from that, yeah, the welcome screen logo is the same. Everything else is the same. So, yes, I think you could be right there. Not much really to mention in the control zone. He's just telling us what we've got and that, uh, oh, a certain person is back for a new... Uh, yep. Well, let's say it. Wonder Boy returns for a whole new series and a whole new world, Ghost World. Imagine Jurassic Park meets Ghostbusters and you won't even be close to the problems Cheyenne will be facing. I've got that to look I forward to. I mean, it's to. a pretty accurate description. They were definitely riding the Jurassic Park wave. Definitely. Yep. And they also remind us that the Eternal Champion special is out in News Agents now. Came out the week before this issue. And, yes! Uh, we will see 
you have heard it from us or not. Yes, the plan was that you would have heard about it a week before, but then my computer died, so we'll see. Yeah. Still, still possible, still possible. And then, uh, what a timely I end know. to this welcome screen. Just to reiterate, because I mentioned it there before, but the cover date of this issue, even though it came out <laughs> in the middle of March, the cover date of this issue, because they date them 13 days ahead, because as we said in the past, the cover dates are the off-sale dates where the news agents were supposed to take the issues down so they could be replaced with the new issues the next day. The cover date is the 1st of April. And Megatroid leans into that, rather, saying, uh, Don't be fooled, this issue's cover date may make you think you're in for a big wind-up, but you're not. No siree, Bob. <laughs> so the last paragraph goes... And finally, it has been announced that Sonic the Hedgehog will soon be appearing in a big-budget, live-action Hollywood movie. Pfft, no way. It can't happen, Chris. No. Major stars like Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson, and Dustin Hoffman are reportedly so keen to get the starring role that they have dyed themselves blue and stuck spikes on their heads. April Fool. Wah, wah. And there's a... Uh, not quite expertly placed asterisk there no. before the April Fool, which leads to that last paragraph should only be read before noon on April the 1st, otherwise I'll look like a total fool. Now we can't have that, can we, boomers? Uh, I said... Dot, dot, dot. You see, this is how you know that they were still early in their love affair with the asterisk. They hadn't quite managed the placement yet. <laughs> hadn't mastered it. <laughs> yeah, guys, this is... Uh, we're recording this, li I mean, in my case... About three days after I saw the Sonic yep. movie. We are in early Sonic movie times right now. Finally, 26 years later. <laughs> yeah, in the time since in between our recording of issue 21 and, and this issue, it, it happened. It came out. Mm. It was a film. Yeah, and soon we'll be presenting you with some sort of episode about it. You may have heard that already. Who knows? Unlikely. Uh, yeah, the rest of the control zone then is just taken up with uh, instructions on how to put your tattoos on. Really, um, mm. really nothing to comment on there at all. Oh, well, except, uh, yeah, total coolness with STC's TTC asterisk Titanic Tattoo Collection. Also called that on the back cover of the previous issue and in the control zone of the previous issue. They're really trying to push this TTC thing. The One other thing, we don't always talk about the charts because, you know, it's just lists and names, but I did spot Eternal Champions in at three. Hmm. You can't help but think they were a little disappointed with only a number three placement for Eternal Champions yeah. after the amount of oomph that went into the promo. I know. But we've got Aladdin and Sensible Soccer at the top, and they're both supposed to be good. Non-movers. Aladdin definitely is. I assume Sensible Soccer is. If you like that sort of thing. <laughs> Girl Trouble Part 2. Written by Nigel Kitching. Art by Richard Elson. Letters by Ellie DeVille. Dr. Robotnik emerges from his egg in a new form and immediately joins Grimer in his lab where Amy Rose is to be made the first victim of a new, irreversible, super badnik conversion process. Sonic and Johnny, meanwhile, are imprisoned inside a transparent sphere, but Sonic is able to use his speed to send the globe pinballing all around the lab. A trooper badnik opens fire but only succeeds in shattering the sphere, freeing them. Sonic saves Amy, and our heroes escape back to the Emerald Hill Zone, where Amy is officially inducted into the Freedom Fighters for her own safety. But Robotnik and Grimer are already cooking up their next plan. Operation Metallics! 
Oh, we're, we're, we're square in the good times now, Chris. Yeah, this is it. This is, we'll not belabor the point, said it all last issue, okay. but this is part two of the transformative two-part story that shifted Sonic the comic into its final form. And part of that is Robotnik himself undergoing a transformation into his final form, which is, as we... Yes. I feel like in our hearts we had probably anticipated. I think um, so, yeah. And as we had confirmed for us by the sight of those studded gloves breaking through the shell on the cover, the adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog cartoon design for That's Robotnik. Right, which for us at the time was sort of the new version of Robotnik because mm-hmm. that Adventures was currently on, um, ABC Sonic was currently not on. Here. Here. And this was the new version of Robotnik, so it just sort of made sense that he was being updated across the board in that way. I do feel that I remember a sense of disappointment, though. Um, Not Mm. specifically borne out of any massive dislike for adventures, which I don't feel like had crystallised in my mind yet. Um, (laughs) Just the fact that it was something I had seen already. I was kind of hoping it was going to be something brand new that I'd never seen before. Right, yeah, that that does make sense. But what we do have here, and uh, it's not just a full-page picture, by the way. We have a a, a sequence of eggs being zoomed in on at the top. (laughs) Yes. Three small panels, the first of that uh, egg-shaped Death Egg-style space station that we mentioned in the previous issue. Then the egg cracking and the top bits coming like lifting coming out then the fists coming out and finally the almost full page picture of robotnik bursting out eggshell flying everywhere dr robotnik has changed i feel different more powerful more deadly more rotten than ever i love the uh, the green stink lines don't the, yes! the, like the rotten egg stink lines wafting <laughs> up behind him as the egg explodes open love it and although it is the Adventures of Sonic the Hedgehog design, technically, it is 100% a Richard Elson version oh, of it. Oh, yes. It doesn't have the grotesqueness, the, the bendy, cartoony lines of the version in the cartoon. It's drawn to the same style that his previous Robotnik was, but just with the new face, the the, the moustache that ends in a kind of a flat edge rather than a, a pointed one, the red irises, the pointed head. Mm. But it's very much a, a Richard Elson version of that. And he looks... Pretty frightening compared to the cartoon. And certainly as time would go on, that would only become more of a thing. Yes. Like it it was uh, over time, Elson really sort of honed this design. He made it his own, you know? He did. He really did. This is just the cartoon design as drawn by Richard Elson. But by the end of things, the proportions would shift around. Some of the the shapes would subtly change as well. There was kind of a... Kind of a Marvel's Kingpin sort of um, yes, yes. muscle body mass type thing. He wasn't just a bloated horror, you know. He was big and scary and he could have he could have done you some damage if he got his hands on you. It was how Elson was drawing it by the time it was all over. Isn't it a little funny how... Well, I suppose it's not funny because they never had cause to do it again. But the, the regeneration idea, we talked about it last issue. You know, Robotnik is somebody whose appearance has probably changed more than any other yeah. basic Sonic character in the in the wider canon in the games and everything. And, and yeah. just having just so offhandedly introduced this concept here to, to get the cartoon <laughs> design in. If they'd ever needed to, you know, if Sonic the comic had lived long enough... Um, it would have been so handy, and they could have, they could have just done it again if they'd needed to. But it's it's funny like it that. It would have you know? I, actually. 
I can think of two times when they could have done it just within Sonic the Comics run. One of which is to give us the uh, ABC version of Robotnik. Sure, yeah. Which I don't condone. I, I thought, uh, I, I, at the time, I thought that might happen when it, whenever that cartoon yeah. did finally air. I thought they might just do it just just to do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then the other is that we did get a Sonic Adventure adaptation. We did, so yeah. the yeah. Eggman design from the game, which is quite considerably different to the original Robotnik, I feel like another regeneration would have been possible there. Well, I, you know, that's the funniest thing of the whole thing, <laughs> isn't it? Like, it only happens because for some week somewhere during the course of production, yeah. the STC staff thought they had to start following the cartoon. <laughs> and then it turned out they didn't. <laughs> But they still went through with it anyway. Well, so here now we have the new Robotnik. What are we going to do with him? I do have, Chris, uh, as of just a few minutes ago, the script to this issue. Oh, right. And so I can tell you exactly what it says. What Nigel wrote to Richard to guide him into drawing this Robotnik. And it says, Large dramatic shot of the new Robotnik. This is the design based on the television version, but ours should be drawn to make the most of the fact that this is a comic strip. He should look more dramatic, more insane. He's just burst from the egg and there should be bits of shell flying around the place and crackling energy. Anything that will make this picture have a lot of impact. And sure enough, that's what Richard's given us. I mean, find me a Richard Nelson drawing that doesn't have some impact. Right, I'm on the lookout now. I'm looking for an, <laughs> an impactless Richard Elson drawing. There must be one. Must be. I mean, flip the page. Look at this lovely shot of this this landscape shot of the laboratory. Then this nice Dutch angle of Amy oh. looking down out of her cage at Grimer in the next one. <laughs> lovely layouts all around. And a nice yeah. sort of like environment we haven't really seen in the comic yet. Yes, it's a sort of a... It is a kind of an Igor lab. But here he is being an Igor again. Which is funny because we're, we're 22 issues in and, and a mad scientist is the arch-villain of the series and we haven't really had any big mad evil laboratory scenes. You've got a point there, yeah. yeah. But, then, but then Nigel has sort of kept Robotnik and Sonic very separate in his stories. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, right there. is that, come to think of it, is this... Is this the first time Nigel's written... Oh, no, well, no, way back at his very first issue, the, the Mayhem in the Marble Zone, yeah, Sonic and, and Robotnik were in the same place together when Sonic was trapped in the Badnik suit, but but since then... Oh, is that when Robotnik had that snazzy new suit on? Yes, when he had the, when he had the top hat. <laughs> is this the first time Kitching's written Robotnik and Sonic actually directly facing off and interacting with oh, each other? It could be, couldn't it? It could well be. He wasn't in the Casino Night story. He wasn't in the Hero of the Year story. He wasn't in Megatox. Yeah. He was only over a monitor in number nine. He only watched the... I, you know, I think it is. <laughs> well, what a momentous occasion then. And since the new status quo was, was established, oh, yeah. leaving aside number four. But what we do get in this issue is plenty of looks at Amy Rose. We yeah. only really got a glimpse of her last issue, but here she is multiple times per page. Richard's got the hang of her already. Of course, she's got that strange upward hair that works so well in STC. And that, frankly, just suits all versions of Amy Rose, like I've kind of, I, I feel as if if Sega had thought of it, they'd have done this as well. Because yeah. when they updated Amy, they gave her interesting new hair. So there's yeah. always been an element of like fashion about her in that way. I, I never liked the idea she had spikes the same as Sonic, oh. and I, I didn't re- never playing Sonic CD. I never realized for a very long time that she was supposed to have them. Yeah, as was the case with so many things. The STC was just the right and true version. <laughs> I quite like it in retrospect because it means that now when, when they make a retro figure of original Sonic CD Amy, those little spikes pointing down is what really marks her out as 
an old-fashioned Sonic thing. You are very right. I have felt that in my soul when I've seen <laughs> things like that. I know I'm... Lo- it's like uh, when she looks that way in Sonic Mania. Yeah, there you I go, know yeah. that they're they're giving me my old Sonic whenever they, right. they make Amy look that way, even if she doesn't look the same as she did in my comic. I've never really confronted it before, but I think in my I think in my own head, the Spike's down Amy is a young Amy, and then she starts combing them up as soon as she becomes fashion conscious. So here we're looking at a sort of a young teen Amy. Well, she is supposed to be quite young, isn't she, in, in game canon and in the Archie stuff? She's quite a bit younger than Sonic. I see. I have a vague memory of her being eight, but I don't know where, where I got that from. That might be nothing. I was going to say eight, too. Mm. Uh, this this super bad Nick thing is a little out of the blue, though, isn't it? It is, and it remains in the blue after this, as far as I can remember. Yeah, yeah it's just that Robotnik's made what is essentially a, a, a silver Amy, yeah. and he's clamping it around her using machines and badniks and the the head is being lowered down and that's you know the ticking timer for how long she's got yeah she's actually gonna i mean it's the closest thing to let's say roboticization to 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 make an archie comparison yes and when i was looking at this issue i was wondering if that was another thing that they felt they were supposed to do maybe yeah because the idea is here that she she is actually being she's being encased in armor, but she is functionally being turned into a robot version of herself and actually having her mind brainwashed to turn her. Into it's got a, a robot skirt and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, versus versus just using the the animals as organic batteries like she says she yeah. can feel the badnik program trying to take over her mind and yeah the, it wouldn't really be like nigel to not follow up but but we, but well i mean it's not that we wouldn't see it again because essentially this is what uh, short fuse will be oh gosh i suppose so yeah. yes but i mean when that's introduced that's treated as another brand new thing and they're called cyberniks yeah. instead of badniks <laughs> yes uh, so yeah, it's an odd one but um I think it adds a bit of a ticking clock to the story, doesn't it? It does, it does, it does. But it doesn't last long because, of course, we're, we've only got seven pages to play with, so <laughs> she's really rather quickly uh, freed. Uh, oh, and just as she is, we do see, and I haven't been checking, this may not be the, for the first time, but we do see the back of Johnny Lightfoot there, and he does have the sonic face on he his back does, like Porky did he? that time. So those are now standard issue Freedom Team jackets. Um... <laughs> On page five, just as Sonic is about to uh, crash into Amy, he says, uh, now stand back while I bop a badnik. <laughs> bop a badnik. Chris, we both recognise that bop is the correct word to describe the destruction via spin attack of a badnik. Yeah, yeah, because they, they go, they go, in the games. They make a noise. As I've been editing this series, I've heard us both casually drop yes, the, we, the term. I was sure we had. We said, bop the badniks, yes. But where does it actually come from? This panel right. can't be the origin of it, surely. Is it in the manual of the game or something? Oh, I don't know. It's definitely... I'm pretty sure... Okay, I'm going gonna, gonna, to work my way down the list of certainties here. I'm pretty <laughs> sure this is the first time the phrase has been used in the comic. I think so. Yeah. That's why it stood out to me. So, is it an STC thing? Or is Bopper Badnik a, a, a Sonic Games thing? Maybe well, it's, it's in the books? It's a pretty British turn of phrase, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. To bop something. Yeah. So, it could be in 
It could be Instasonic, I suppose, but it also just it's it's just alliterative, isn't it? You know, and onomatopoeic. It just flows nice. It does, but it hasn't come about because we, while recording this podcast, have come up with a good onomatopoeic alliterative word for breaking a robot. We remembered it being that. That's right? true. You know, we definitely do have some kind of lizard brain memory of that being definitely, definitely, yeah, a thing. Yeah, but here well, it is. Interesting. We'll have to look into that one. There mm. it is. Yeah, canonized in the actual strip itself. I always liked it for some reason i don't really know why but whenever sonic would um would get a bit anime uh, whenever he would do a spin attack you know he'd go super spin attack when he would crash into something and i was like what are you calling your shots for man we can see but but it's like you know it's a bit fist of the north star a little bit a little bit we end on this neat little comedy beat actually so so like you know grimer tells the trooper badnik who's gonna shoot them don't shoot because when he shoots all it does is he blows the bubble that's holding them open so then as sonic and, and everybody make their escape robotnik's ranting somebody stop them stop stop somebody getting away somebody and then we pan over to show grimer beating that one stupid badnik in the head with a wrench going i said don't shoot and i meant don't Shoot! Do my eyes deceive me? Or are you smashing the last badnik that could have caught Sonic? Uh, uh, I uh, got a little carried away. Carried away? Carried away! When I'm finished with you, you'll need to be carried away! Classic. Classic material. (laughs) We get a little insight into sort of uh, Nigel's take on Amy on the final page of this one as well. Well, they decide that uh, it's not so much that Amy has to become a freedom fighter because she's a capable fighter or anything, because we mm. haven't got there yet. She has to stay with them because Robotnik thinks she's Sonic's girlfriend. If she goes back to live in the Emerald Hill Village, she'll just be captured again. Or worse. That's To me, that's a really, really cool way of getting this character to join the team, because it could have simply mm. been, you know... The, the character proves themselves in a fight, so now they get to be in the Freedom Team. And that would have been cool from, like, the perspective of her proving herself in a fight, which will happen. It, But this way around, it's just not something I see done very often, in certainly in kids' stuff, where it's like, no, she's an enemy of the state and needs protection. Yeah. <laughs> and Sonic says, okay, she can stay, but get this straight. You are not my girlfriend. <laughs> and then Amy says, all right, if you say so, I'm not your girlfriend. Not yet, anyway. (laughs) And then she says like that. She doesn't really seem to say it under her breath either because as she turns (laughs) and leaves and says it, it's like she says it as she's leaving, going out the door, and we get a a, a back view of Sonic going, "Eh," doing a wild take as he hears her and angrily reacting to it. That's right, yeah. He's got those little surprise lines around his head, which, yes, I I read... I, I suppose it could be read as him, you know going off in a huff but no i read that as him hearing her and being annoyed yeah oh yeah hearing her and having a sort of cartoon whole body reaction exactly yeah yeah. the idea that amy would play up her shtick specifically to get sonic's goat was kind of nigel's approach to the character and it didn't really stick around to be honest because as time would go on the lack of female characters in the comic required uh, deborah tate to step in and say take this character seriously allow her to she because she is the only female representation that the comic has but it's a bit of fun for now but i mean i'm 100 percent in tate's corner than yeah. the decision that was made something interesting about this panel is that uh, as sonic is having his full body reaction mm. and amy is looking into the camera to say her line you've got johnny lightfoot looking a bit sort of there's a, there's a look on his face and uh 
If I crack open the script here, oh, yeah. I only just noticed this oh, right now. Oh, do tell, do tell. It says, The others have turned away and Amy is left facing us. She smiles conspiratorially. Only Johnny looks back towards Amy. Perhaps he'd like her to be his girlfriend. Really? So that was... No, no this is an idea that I've, know, yeah. I've known about. It would get mentioned. It's more like it's mentioned, mm-hmm. if I remember right, in a summer special profile for oh. Johnny that is not... Oh. And it never impacts on the stories of the comics ever anywhere else. It's basically the only reference to it. But Nigel had that in, in there all along. Yeah, Isn't that interesting? I mean, that's not the... I gotta be honest, that's not what this panel says to me. This panel says to me, oh no, she's getting Sonic's goat. This is gonna, oh, my sciatica. Oh, my lumbar. You know, he's, he's having a grumble. <laughs> and now it's time to finish off the episode with the most enticing cliffhanger yet. Oh, yeah. Because we have begun our introduction of things from Sonic CD. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I said we were essentially in the middle of an eight-part adaptation of the concepts of Sonic CD beginning here. And we have our little oh. teaser. Grimer, all bandaged up, arm in a sling, after Dr. Robotnik got finished with him, hmm. tapping some oh, computer Oh, God, I consoles. never noticed that. You're right, he's covered in plasters. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, yeah, Dr. Robotnik wasn't <laughs> bluffing. He did follow through on those threats. The final tests are positive, Dr. Robotnik. Yes! Even Sonic will be no match for Operation Metallics. And anybody who's been paying attention to the new zone knows what that (laughs) silhouette inside that laboratory tube is. Yeah, it's so good. It's a close-up of this glass tube, pipes going into it, and then the silhouette with a pointy nose, a pointy ear, but drawn so... Also so vaguely and shinily that you really, you know, you can't see the details. No. And it's just so good and so exciting. Oh, God. <laughs> I've looked down at it. And the first game is a sports game. God, will you give my head peace with the sports Listen games? Heck. There's loads coming out. Give it a rest. <sighs> Winter Olympics. This is the one that they offered as a prize a couple of issues ago, is isn't it? it? Oh, right. Yeah. And, and it only got 68. So great prize, kids. Well, this is the thing. They Congratulations. There you go. I mean, yeah, look, look at this second paragraph. This cart is so dated that to compare it to other Sims, one would have to go back five years to the likes of California Games and Track and Field. Back to the future, and there's very little improvement. Well... You know me. I looked it up. I called it up on YouTube, had a mm-hmm, look, mm-hmm. and yeah, it does look very lacking. This one, this it doesn't look, uh, you know, even up to the standards that I'm used to for sports games that I look up for this. And that's the only reason you'd be looking at sports games. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then it ends on only hardcore sports fans will get anything much from this experience. It's funny. I see negative reviews say similar things a lot in STC and occasionally in that incorrect faraway year of 2020. <laughs> And I, I disagree with it as a sentiment. I think that, like, surely sports fans are less likely to enjoy a lacklustre sports thing in the same way that we would be less likely to enjoy a lacklustre Sonic thing Dave, than your average person. Dave. Yes. You know full well <laughs> yes. that Sonic fans are the ones who derive <laughs> the most enjoyment from bad Sonic games compared to people oh, you're who right. don't like them. 
come on, I'm just going to move on and point out that this review was actually written by some new faces, uh, Jenny Fromer and Nick Pratt, oh. who we haven't seen oh, before. They, they have written this Winter Olympics review. And it's a nice little review, too. Like, it's uh, it's entertaining. And then we have two from Dave Gibbon uh, doing Dino Basher for the Master System and Game Gear and Jungle Book for the Master System and Game Gear, which are, again, just very dry descriptions of what the games consist of. Yes, although uh, I am interested in Dino Basher, uh, because this was never released. Oh, really? Correct. It was never released. And this isn't a preview. This is a review of a game that does not come out, Um, at least not on Sega. It was already out on the computers, um, because it's a Codemasters game, and that's where the Codemasters live. It was called Big Nose the Caveman on Atari ST, Amiga, things like that. It's... It just looks awful. Yeah, e- even the screenshots look bad. Don't they? The, the screen. One of the things that makes the screenshots look bad is that the actual caveman character is in the same frame of animation in both, which is, you know, the, the, their fault. But there really aren't very many frames to choose from. And Codemasters were known for making sort of cartoony, mascot-y games. And mm. of those, this does not look like one of their good ones. It really doesn't. It, it surely must only have existed because Chuck Rock came out the same year and they were trying to cash in on the UK success of that. That's all I can imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Not the only thing we'll see in this issue that never happened, too. Exactly. What an interesting issue for that sort of thing. Isn't it, though? I thought so. And then Jungle Book for Master System and Game Gear. That came out. Everyone knows what it is. Nothing to say. I feel a little bad, but basically every time I look and see that a review is for the Master System and Game Gear, I immediately sort of lose interest in it. I know, I know. I write it off as not quite counting, and that's not fair, is it? I know it's not, but I'm glad I'm not alone. No, but in my personal case, out of the three games here, the Mega Drive one is Winter Olympics, don't Uh, care. True. And the two Master System Game Gear ones are a game that, A, I would be more interested in, Jungle Book, and B, I'm interested in because it didn't exist, Dino Basher. So... (laughs) I don't know what my problem is, but I completely agree. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Just a Yeah, we got an ad for the Eternal Champions special. The Eternal Champions break loose out of the game and into their own special. Sega's hottest fighting team are on the move. And it's just the uh, the cover of the special, isn't it? Well, the Art of Shadow from the cover. Which we described on the Eternal Champions special. Special. 48 action-packed pages, three sizzling new comic strips. Every, and we mean every, move listed. Full stats on each champion. How the game was created. It's the Eternal Champion Special. Kicking it at your local newsy. No. And <laughs> kicking it. No, no, newsy. newsy. No full words are allowed in the UK in the 1990s. And doesn't that black box that says no in it <laughs> look like it was pasted over the top of the yes. text that said the date when it was coming yes. out? <laughs> it's just, it's too close to the local newsy. Yeah. There's no gap. And it's not quite the same. Like, what's the word? Is it kerning? What's the word for the space between lines on yeah, text? Yeah. It, it, it doesn't respect it. So it does look like it <laughs> It was hastily put on, yeah. <laughs> it's like the original version of this. Ha- it says, kicking it at your local newsy on whatever day yeah. in March it was. And once yeah. it came out, they stuck this over the top of it so it could say no instead. Because we don't think we've seen this, uh, this ad in an issue before. No. So, uh, yeah, they uh, hedge in their bets. Yeah. But if you don't have to wait for the Eternal Champions special for Hot Eternal Champions action, because you can find it on the facing page. <laughs> Eternal Champions. The Eternal Champions, Part 4, written by Michael Cook, with art by Brian Williamson, inks by Bambos Giorgio, colors by John M. Burns, and letters by Steve Potter. 
While Shadow, Blade and Slash fight their way through the Nakano Industries complex in 1994, in 2345 the other champions are forced to fight each other in the Cyberdome after being mistaken for a team of cyberfighters. They start out trying to pull their punches, but their clashing personalities wind up overtaking them and they make the fights a little bit too authentic. But finally, Rax is able to disable the cells holding the champions between bouts and they all escape, only to find their way barred by the angry team of cyberfighters whose place in the Cyberdome tournament they accidentally stole. You know the first thing I noticed here actually Dave is um I thought it I thought it was a little shinobi um Japanese character on the tattoo sheet, but it's actually the one from the Eternal Champions. Oh of course <laughs> it is. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah. I wondered what that was, because it didn't I was I was trying to think like when in Shinobi is that an important thing? Oh yeah, okay. I just assumed it was you know, I just saw an Asian language character and I just assumed Shinobi, so that's bad. <laughs> oh there it is. I just did a Google and I have located that symbol, it is on the title screen of the game. Oh, there we go then. There we go. I have, can't see it anywhere else, like on box art or anything. Oh, I'm probably not Googling very well in my haste, but I can't. Well, I'm glad you had something to say about this issue, because I, I don't. That's not a condemnation. I just I just don't have anything to say about this, because yeah. it's, it's just some it's some fighting. Just a bit of fighting. It's mm. really all in the uh, it's all in the characters again, mm-hmm. and again the the um, as we've said before the the breaking of the team up into two groups has has worked well. Even though uh, all nine characters basically do still manage to get a little bit of action, I enjoy the fun stuff with the cyber fights where they're like, okay, I'm going to pull my punches. Or, hold on, again. okay, well, hold on, just, just just let me win because they'll never yeah. believe it otherwise. And then the other one gets their back up and is like, well, just hold on a second there, Sonny Jim. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so you know like like Larson Larson being a bloke from the 1920s literally just assumes that if they have to fake the fight he's going to be the one who's going to come out the fake winner and yeah. Jed is like ah hold on there and then <laughs> legitimately beats him and uh, and uh what is it midnight thinks that uh you know a, a future cyborg crowd from 2345 will never believe the idea that a magician could beat a scientist and then Xavier takes thick and just wallops him with a big magic blast from his staff yeah. and then uh Rax and, and Trident face off and uh okay keep it gentle I got me a plan. A son of Atlantis will always find it hard to pull punches in battle, but for the good of the champions I will agree. And then some mook from the crowd goes, <laughs> Give it, you know, really, really heckles Rax, and yeah. Rax takes, he, he gets offended at the notion, what does he say? Uh, uh, Rax Coswell's back with the rookies, I bet he can't keep up with that green guy. And Rax is like, oh yeah? And wallops him. And I mean in the next panel he says, no, I'm just distracting the guards. Yeah, I'm so doing can- a plan. I'm doing yeah. a plan. He says he is, but I don't know. I feel like yeah. I know Rax. We know Rax a little bit now at this point in the course, and, and it does seem like that's a comment that would get to him, that he would um, yeah. he would let get the better of him. Because he wasn't him. doing a plan until that guy did say that, and I don't think he's a plant that he knows. <laughs> well, he said he got him a plan, but yeah, I don't yeah. know. And, uh, but once again, Jonathan Blade has got nothing going on. He is the exposition machine. Yeah. There's no character in his sentences. He's just like, we're free. Now we have a chance to stop Nakano developing bio-key technologies. Ah, here we are. We've arrived at the... This is not a literal quote, but he says, you know, we've reached Secret Central when they reach the computer mm. operations. Then he shoots the... I'm not, I'm not clear on how shooting the computer is going to get the information out of it, <laughs> but he does it anyway. And it's like, 
gotta get that information and it's like oh my god say something with personality slash says her her club club and he expresses more personality <laughs> in those two words than blade gets in the whole thing you're right and i tell you what I, i'm a little bit annoyed at blade as well or rather his dialogue here because this thing here We'll have the chance to stop Nakano developing bio-key technology. Now, in the story, bio-key technology has been established as the thing they don't want them to invent. Yeah. And I know it's got to do with what will eventually, you know, become this AI that they're not fighting. But yeah. something about it, it doesn't feel established enough to me. Or perhaps it's that I don't care about it enough. It, it feels like one of those... Um, in dodgy TV series where they'll establish a phrase that everyone says ten times an episode because it's the it's the MacGuffin they're all working towards, yeah, but yeah. you don't know enough or care enough about it the, the bio key technology show me it is it what is it is it a th- what kind of threat is it exactly what is it going to be at this stage in time i want to know i think yeah no i can see that i think that's a little from column a a little from column b but i mean i remember where it goes and it does uh-huh. they, they do pay off the idea of it by the end of the Good. strip so i think there's something just about the fact that they've been told this phrase in episode one and they're still shouting it in episode whatever we're on now and and i still haven't seen any of it you know yeah we just know i mean they have they've told us it's it's key to wait did they tell us that it was key to the development of the overlord i think they they did did, right they did yeah Yeah. at least that at least i know that it is so they must have done yeah but do you know that because i wrote it down oh (laughs) (laughs) no i'm pretty sure they did say listen back over the episodes and read the comics readers and you can tell us so that we don't have to bother looking it up (laughs) but this no but that's genuinely interesting isn't it it's the weird experience i know that from reading either the special Mm -hmm. or the articles in sonic the comic yeah so it's it's illustrative of how sometimes the comic communicated the information to you in ways other than in the strips themselves. So you're you're reliving that experience of reading the strip or not reading the strip, as as the case well, was that, back in yes, the, the back in the is that this time I'm reading the strip. News zone. News zone. This is a great fun news zone because yes. it's a news zone of stuff that neither didn't happen or didn't happen this way. It's great. <laughs> yeah. So, like, out of the gate, all the hits and more, stack them high in the Mega Drive jukebox. This is something <laughs> called the Video Jukebox, which is essentially a, a, a cartridge switcher. Yeah. It's a piece of tech you plugged six Mega Drive cartridges into, and then you plugged the tech into your Mega Drive. Yeah, it had a cartridge on the end of a floppy wire or something. Mm. And then you could just simply um, switch between the games. So instead of having to get up and and remove the cartridge from your Mega Drive and put it in, this was a way that you could um, um, switch between your games remotely. And shockingly, it never came out. Yes. And there's a picture of the big photo of it, and it's absolutely gigantic. I mean, we're not even talking Mega CD gigantic. We're talking like... Like nothing. Like it's it's a huge box, at least twice the width of the Mega Drive Two sitting on top of it. Oh yeah, I mean it's it's a it's a VHS recorder size piece of kit. Yeah, at least. At least I, well, I suppose yeah. it has to be you know three by three Mega Drive cartridges and then yeah. a, a bit more. Oh and oh I never noticed this before. Look in the side. They've slotted in a load of game manuals. Yeah, a little shelf to keep your manuals on. And, oh wait a minute, are they game manuals? I'm not sure because they have the word Genesis written on them, and I, I certainly haven't. I don't see what that's got to do with anything. Can you see that? It says what's Genesis a, on it. What's there. a Genesis? I, t- I have no idea. It looks. I mean, it's similar to the Mega Drive logo, but 
Oh. It says Gen Z. I don't know what that I is. I don't know. Like, Maybe somebody so, can write in and let us know. But, well, yeah, that, anyway, some, some, they've some stuck bit. some books in the side of it anyway. I assume you yeah. could put your instruction manuals there if you wanted to. But It'll be, but it, no, it'll be, i tell you what it'll be. It'll be um, church pamphlets. It'll oh, be, that, that'll be the book it, of Genesis. Yeah. But like there'll the, be other literature left by the Jehovah's Witnesses. Yeah, yeah. There'll yeah. be other books of the Bible, other passages, and the, yeah. the other ones underneath it. That's what that is. That's what it is. Does it say who made this? Um, Does it? They call it the VJS for short. God, we loved an acronym back in the day, didn't we? Well, it does say that Hornby Hobbies, the game genie folk, will at least be distributing it here. Oh, and by the way, I've previously said on this podcast incorrectly. So this is correction corner, um, or whatever. What what was the word for that that they have in STC? Hume error. Hume error. Yeah. <laughs> so this is a Hume error. Um, I uh, I said that Codemasters made the game genie. Apparently, they just sort of took over it. Um, a little bit later. I think it was made by someone else first, and I can't be bothered looking up who, but maybe it was Hornby Hobbies, as listed here. Uh, the video jukebox was made by ASG Technologies. Ah. It never came out. Never came out. Although, I did see mention, yes, here, uh, it is currently being used, but in shops and stores for demonstration purposes. So this would have been plugged into a demonstration Mega Drive, and then the the owner of the shop could just pick what game the demo yeah. Mega Drive would demo that day. So I guess it came out in that sense, but but not for us to have. No, not as a. Uh, I mean, what is it here? Forty five to fifty quid. I mean, that's not that seems pretty reasonable. Yeah. But that's maybe fair. that's just my twenty twenty brain. That's the price of a game, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. E- even in nineteen ninety four, so that, that strikes me as quite eminently reasonable for a for an accessory that's unnecessary. Yeah, I think that's. Yeah. Like, in fact, if anything, unrealistically good. I feel yeah. as if it couldn't have come out for that price. <laughs> yeah, right? Now, speaking of unrealistically good... Oh. <laughs> no, that's a lie. Over here, the <laughs> other story. Um, this wonder joystick brings in new styles of gameplay. This is... Um, no, well, I'll tell you what. It's called here... It's called yep. the Triax Multifunction joystick. joystick. If you Google that phrase, yeah. you get nothing. No. Or, well, you get something, but nothing that has to do with this. You get no. that joypad that had the yellow rubbery thumb sensor on yes. the side, which is it was not made at all by Triax. Triax um, is the name. Triax Technologies is the name of the guys that made this. Let's just see if we can even figure out what this article is. It, w- the way that this article describes what this does. Let's yeah. see if we can imagine what it means, what it actually realistically could have done. List those features for me, Dave. Most joysticks, although boasting of special features, don't really alter the way a game is played. However, get ready for a gaming revolution when the Triax multifunction joystick hits the market later this year. And by the way, listeners, picture, there's a, there's a big photo here. And it's a joystick, just a small joystick, not one of those big fancy, like, you know, plane driving ones that we uh-huh. have now. Just a, just a stick with a button on the top. But it's coming out of this big plateau that's covered in buttons of all shapes and sizes, including the, the six-button Mega Drive joypad type coming off a, a sort of wrist rest area. But there's all sorts of others, and there's a, a dial switch or two. There's all sorts of things. Yeah, there are the how, new how, joystick- how many would you say? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight... Plus the says fourteen. Looks like fourteen buttons. Plus the one on top of the joystick. Plus one slider over there on yeah, the left, yeah. and, and some kind of dial or an or an, yeah. either either a dial or another button as well. It is yeah. positively tumescent with buttons. <laughs> That's the word. That's exactly the word. The new joystick, NewsZone says, with all the features you expect in an advanced controller, offers several capabilities never seen before in such a device with specially developed games. Okay. Key phrase here. Interesting. You get features such as variable speed, 
Allowing characters to move slow more normal. Oh yeah, sorry, I read it wrong because the punctuation's all over the shop oh, yeah, here. The way, be the way the way that they're going with it is they go get you get features such as colon, variable speed, semicolon, and then but then they def, they describe okay, what that don't, meant. Don't pick their punctuation. And then you get a comma, on the a comma. Okay, okay, fine. <laughs> Variable I agree speed. with you, it's an abomination before God, but <laughs> it's not interesting radio. <laughs> Variable speed, allowing characters to move slow, normal, or fast. Got it. Multidirectional movement, objects moving at any angle. What? Do you, mm. What do you mean? 3D action, objects zooming from background to foreground and vice versa, not the purview of a joystick. Mm-mm. Has it got like a Mode 7 chip in it or something? Okay, next. Dual system capability, that's compatibility with Sega and other systems. Okay, fine. And they put other in inverted commas. Yeah. What other systems are you talking about? There aren't any. And patented programmability, which enables you to store special or multiple moves within the controller. Actually, that one, fine. We've I feel like we've heard that before, yeah. We have. Special moves for the for the six-button joystick. Fine. What's all this about, like, 3D objects zooming around yeah. the game? You can't plug a special joystick and, and get... Flipping tails flying out towards the camera. What are you talking about? Now, I did manage to find something when I was Googling. Yeah. Is it is it that paywalled article in on the Google Bloomberg? Books thing? Oh, no, I found something in a Google Books book or, oh. or a magazine that had a little right. article about it. And it doesn't really say anything more than what's no. here. You kind of have to read between the lines. But it is abundantly clear this wouldn't amplify a regular gaming experience. No. You know, no. like I had a six-button joypad. I yeah. know what a speed controller does. Yeah. When you set it to slow, it just rapidly pauses the game on and off. Yeah. That's all it does, okay? I don't know what high speed even did. It didn't do anything on mine. <laughs> well, this paragraph from the one I found in Bloomberg News from January 31st, 1994. So if anyone has a subscription to Bloomberg.com... Go and find us the rest of this article. It does give us a little bit of information that might be useful. It says, Triax says some of the leading publishers of video games plan to enhance their games by adding software that will communicate with a chip in the Triax controller. Among them, it says, are Electronic Arts, Sunsoft, Tengen, and Namco. These Nintendo are all and Sega. named in this article here too, yeah. Ah, is it the yeah. same article? No, no, Tops... No, I'm talking about STC. Top software oh, houses including oh, yeah. Electronic Arts, Virgin, <laughs> US, Gold, Ocean, Tengen, and Sunsoft are already oh, working on games that will support the its revolutionary new options and i think when you hear that sentence that's why it didn't happen yeah you know some punk ass third party company comes along and invents a new joystick and then the games ha- the games are the things that have to bend to accommodate it yeah it'd be one thing if it was actually a sega product but it's not but then another way to look at this is that all of these companies have apparently agreed that it would be an interesting idea because they are apparently making games for it. Or was that just Triax's line? That is possible. I guess it's potentially possible that what we have here is a story that must surely be interesting to me. The fallout from this... If if these companies were all on board and making games that interacted with this in some way, the fallout from that must surely be a story to hear because it seems like... These multiple big-name game makers may have been making games with special features for this one peripheral, or putting exclusive functions in their normal games for it at least, and all of them would have been inconvenienced by it not coming out. There must have been sparks flying, or or they were inconvenienced by being name-dropped as people who were working with them. As I say, we can find virtually nothing about this online, but we are not the guys who would know this. So if if anybody knows 
anything yeah. about this. I would genuinely be interested to hear what happened with this. Yeah, what definitely. I read, I don't have it in front of me now, so I don't know what it was, but um, the multi-directional movement thing, moving at mm-hmm. any angle, it essentially um, is just that the joystick is such that it's not locked into the uh, the eight switches. Up, down, oh. left, right, no, 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 in between. Got it's, it, got it's it, got full, it. full 360 motion, which, um, you know, doesn't matter because the regular because the video games, games don't yeah. yeah you know they only move in those <laughs> directions so yeah. again it would have to be completely specially developed games to go with it yeah yeah so that's a whole page of the news zone dedicated to two peripherals that never <laughs> happened this is going to continue in just a moment but it first is. we we uh we meet the th- we three vikings um the lost vikings turning up on the mega drive <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I never played Lost Vikings. It no, seems like it was the sort of game that I wouldn't have had a lot of time for as a kid, but mm. I think that I would enjoy more as an adult. No. Do you think so? I'm the other way around because um, what you have is three interesting cartoony characters that you're playing out that have yeah. different skills. One can do hitting, one can do shielding, and one can do some other thing. Jumping. Just ba- bashing through walls. Oh, jumping. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, um,. But and so that's perfectly interesting. You know, you go through the level, and depending on who you need for this, you you swap to that character. The trouble is that you leave the other two behind, so you keep having to switch characters, and then the camera goes all the way back to where you last were when you switch characters, and then you have to walk that character all the way along the level across the path you've just cleared for it, which seems to me like the sort of thing I'd get very bored with quite quickly. Well, it's puzzle games, isn't it? It's just, it's, it's just, it's puzzle implementation. And I think I, I didn't have a lot of time for stuff like that when I was a kid. You know, mm. as a, as a, as a child of Sega, um, <laughs> I'm really only realizing now, genuinely playing the, the Mega Drive Mini and everything, how conditioned I was as a, as a Mega Drive owner and a kid of Sega to expect games to be a certain way, right. quick hits of, of arcade action, not ponderous puzzlers. Right. Uh, you know, and. Uh, I've broadened my horizons in my old age. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. You're improving yourself. Then, below that, we have Not the Normie. Normie from Electronic Arts, a side-scrolling comical platform available on the Sega Mega Drive. And it sounds fascinating as a game. The way they describe it here, it says, mm. Star of the show Normie works part-time for a law firm named Push Down and Turn quite like that, and he has the unenviable job of delivering summonses to a selection of strange characters who dwell in different eras, starting from prehistoric time. Each level of the game contains a variety of wacky characters, such as cave-dwelling punks who spend their time spray-painting. Normie is able to gain extra lives by collecting such items as Dr. Bland cream soda and bandages if, however, Normie runs out of lives, he's given his marching orders by his employer. Normie, which was released in March, is from the same producer as Toe Jam and Earl and costs $44.99. Now, Normie would be released. Sort of. But not in this form. No. <laughs> the finished game was called, and there's a bit of distaste <laughs> on my tongue even as these yep. words leave my mouth, Normie's Beach, Beach Babarama. <laughs> <laughs> law firm or summons thing no, in the finished game. Even though to me that is the draw of the game. That sounds really interesting. The finished game is aliens abduct beach babes. <laughs> and yeah. then Normie has to travel through time to rescue them. Yeah. And also the beach is a toxic waste. It makes it makes no f- sense. 
sense. Yeah. There's no unifying premise to the game whatsoever. Yeah, a seagull flies by, drops a can of time and space sun cream on him, and he puts that on, and that teleports him off through time and space. It's one of those games, and there were a few coming out at this time, some more successfully than this and some less, where almost the primary point of it was to just do little visual gags all the time with yeah, every yeah. different sprite and every different animation. And it's, it's full of those. Like, you know, when he sees the beach babes be abducted by aliens, he, you know, slumps his arms down and a cloud rains on him because it's a... Mm. Uh, because it's, well, not just cartoon, apparently developed in conjunction with a comic strip from a paper. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, and but not one that this is the story of. Well, obviously, because they've oh. developed two completely different stories. It was just a, <laughs> one artist who had an art style, and, and it was kind of based on that. Uh, so, so I'll mention Goblins, a series of three games that came out on things like Amiga, where that was also based on the art style of a European cartoonist. And that did it much better, this thing of everything being funny and, and looking funny. What an interesting game. I mean, the screenshot here is it's the sort of screenshot I've always really been into, actually. You've got a, a cartoony-looking man, not a million miles away from the way the, the characters looked in the Discworld game, if you're familiar with that. That's a bit, bit more uh, famous game. He's in a big kayak, and he's kayaking through the waves, and there's, a, there's obviously a shark fin there, so you have to avoid that. And there's a boat full of different people, there's like four distinctly different characters on this boat and that sort of screenshot who are those people are they all different are they important how will we interact with them what are they up to what's going on in this game it's the sort of screenshot that always fascinated me and as far as i can tell is not in the game none of the assets here are from the game at all or the finished game anyway the finished, the finished game which is particularly interesting because at the end of this article it says it has been released it says normie which was released in march anticipating this being available on sale until the end of march so I'm, <sighs> so so what it looks like is that this game right up until the door opened and they had to ship it out was either going through changes or the information they were handing out was nothing like the game that they had in the studio at the time or who knows what went on? I'd like yeah, to find it's out. It's a strange one. Yeah. What a weird news zone. Then the short bursts on the side are just like, what do we got? Mega Race for Mega CD, Sensible Golf, and the sequel to Cool Spot. Three games that all came out, and who cares? There's, you yeah. know, the, 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 but the rest of the news zone is like a weird collection of. <laughs> stuff that didn't happen. I, I genuinely love it. Like I love yeah, I know. stuff like this. I, I want just a I want just a magazine reprinting things that turned out wrong. I want to watch episodes of Tomorrow's World that didn't pan out. <laughs> All of that. <laughs> the, a couple of things I, I will say. Uh, I looked up Mega Race. That's uh, quite an interesting one in that it's a racing game where the sprites are perfectly normal, but the actual track you're racing on is pre-rendered 3D CG video. Oh, so yeah. you're having to swerve around that. Um, and, and also it has this lengthy uh, like it's 10 minutes before you get to play the game at all because they will have this massive video of a TV presenter who's played by a guy I really recognise but I think I might just recognise him from people making fun of this Oh, right. and that's that and then uh, it says in the Cool Spot bit all that's known about Cool Spot Goes to Hollywood so far is that it's going to be a different kettle of fish from before so I thought well was it a different kettle of fish? Yes oh, it was in a manoeuvre that I like to call the reverse toe jam <laughs> it went all isometric Oh, well, there you well. are the reverse toe jam I went to the doctor for a reverse toe jam. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, what else we got? Oh, God, I forgot about this. <laughs> so, over the page, uh, we have an unusual feature. Uh, <laughs> don't kiss, just talk. 
Do you know why it's called that? I don't. It's because Wright said Fred's, I think, second single was called Don't Talk, Just Kiss. And uh, I didn't remember it, so I looked it up and I listened to it and I still didn't remember it. Of note about it is that uh, 20 seconds in, there is an apparently accidental digital chirp of the sort that you get when your equipment fails, and they have allegedly uh, kept that in every single re-release and remix that there's ever been of the song. But we should probably say what it is. Yes, we should, shouldn't we? (laughs) (laughs) It's the return, if you count Stay Sonic, of our friend's right said friend. Yes, Deborah Tate has gone off to do... uh... I feel like all this an interview is a stretch. Yeah, I, I really get the sense from this page that Deborah Tate had a previous life as a, you know, sort of pop journalist, don't you? I, I mean, the impression I get from this page is that this page is fine. Awful. <laughs> it's a really terrible page of writing. Like, it's. I wasn't going to say that, but it's very excited about it. But it's so random. The whole first paragraph is about how <laughs> there is somebody in the, in the room who looks like <laughs> England rugby captain Will Carling. Yes. It's, I, and I don't, I don't even understand that. <laughs> I'll read it to you. I arrived to find Right Said Fred, the band who have shared equal success at home and abroad with hits like I'm Too Sexy and Deeply Dippy, signing photographs. Someone, who I assume must be their manager, and who bears an uncanny resemblance to England rugby captain Will Carling, is standing beside lead singer Richard Fairbrass. I'm his personal trainer. Taught him everything he knows about hockey. The manager makes his way towards the door. It transpires there's a good reason why he's a Will Carling lookalike. It is him. Who said... Well, did, did did Fairbrass say that about the personal trainer? Was he being... Or did, did Carling say it? I don't know. Yes, I, th- I took it to mean that Will Carling said it. I did too. And that he was just in the room for the previous thing, maybe? (laughs) But now that I've just read it out, I'm now interpreting it as Fairbrass saying it. Right. And making the joke that he taught him everything he knows about a sport he doesn't play. isn't his sport, yeah. But I don't know, because it's so badly written. (laughs) The part that I didn't understand was uh, a little bit later on, when just after they've been talking, after they've been forcing Right Said Fred to say that they know anything about Sega or video games now they've done this interview because right said fred have been appearing in sega's pirate television adverts yes that are something to do with sonic 3 and that is because the sega adverts were also used for the video for the right said fred song wonder man which was a sonic 3 tie-in single right said fred So they're doing something, and Deborah Tate's been put on the bus to go and yeah take a photo, essentially. And fair play, she has actually gone, or someone has, because they are holding a copy of STC in the yes. photo. It's not this is a bespoke photo. Yeah, it's the Kick It Champions issue. Which one was that? Uh, number nineteen. Was number nineteen. Yeah. not so long ago at all. No, so this is this has happened very recently. But yes. so after they've you know forced them into acknowledging that they know what Sega is, it says. The topic of conversation switches to what sounds more like a biology lesson than a promotion for their single. Quote, symbiosis, unquote. Is that a new video game? I later discovered that Richard used to get nervous doing interviews. I, I don't know what was happening there, the symbiosis. No, it, the name of the, the the thing must be symbiosis. And she's just making a what comment thing? that it's whatever they're talking about. Uh, 
Uh, what are they talking about? That's the problem. Oh, wait, weren't they? <laughs> the topic of conversation switches to what sounds more like a biology lesson than a promotion for their single. So it must be the name of the single. No, because the single is called Wonder Man. Oh, is it that single? Oh, uh, maybe. Well, I assumed well, it was. I, I assume Symbiosis was the name of the single. But maybe they're talking about the the nature of the promotion itself and the way it's two different things at once. Maybe. But but uh, look, look, we're, we're <laughs> having to perform a literary analysis of this one page air quotes interview with right said <laughs> fred it's so bad guys <laughs> i don't know if this well, page is included in the scans you can find online so there's no, <laughs> i don't know if you can experience this like we're experiencing i, I hope it. you can i hope you can't because i'm on the verge of an aneurysm i tell you what though i learned so i genuinely learned something from this page so wonder man many readers won't be aware um, right said Fred some readers won't be aware they're the guys who done I'm too sexy right remember that I read, I read that bit already you did okay good so, the start of the thing. okay good so they done that they around this time did a single to tie in with Sonic 3 and it was like it had I was completely unaware of it until it happened to show up on a Now album that we uh, that we just happened to have and uh, by the way it turns out it was actually one of if not the lowest charting singles to ever appear on a Now album ah. but um, it has lyrics about Sonic but in the tongue in cheek right said Fred comedy way so it's a blue rinse that works they say things like that hogging the limelight stuff like that ah. but it says here According to Right Said Fred, Sega, looking for a band with a similar street cred image to theirs, approached them to come up with a reputable song to promote the launch of Sonic 3. Right Said Fred and their management, possessing more than an inkling of what makes the public part with their money these days, rewrote a song called Wonder Man. The track originally featured on their second album, Sex and Travel, but with the additional of Dance Commando's The Beatmasters, Wonder Man Mark II, released on the 7th of March, has successfully steered clear of becoming another jingle single, offering them further success. Right, first off, do you know what a jingle single is? Uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a single release of, like, a commercial tune. Or, oh, or, okay. Or, oh, wait, was that, not, was that a genuine question? Genuine question, didn't know, yeah. Sorry, no, Jesus, Dave, didn't I would have... You, you, you were a living jingle single. <laughs> well, exactly. Maybe, yeah, maybe I'm just in the eye of the storm so to speak it's like whenever they did the whenever they put words to the east enders theme yeah yeah, 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 yeah. No, anyone uh, can I fall mean, in i love. mean i assume i've never t- i can't say that I'm, I'm not saying that because i'm going oh jingle single yeah know the term well no I, but i'm just extrapolating i feel like it, i feel Ryan like it's May, a with everything we, term, do, but, we do but, I, mean, I, yeah. mean, I, I don't know I don't know shit. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I, that sound, that rings true. That jingle's true. So, Wonder Man, I had no idea there was a previous version of Wonder Man, and yeah. I called it up on YouTube, and yeah, sure enough, the original version, it's not just a remix, it's completely different. It doesn't talk about Sonic or Blue Rinses or Hedgehogs. Shocking. It's just about, it's just about a man. It's about a Wonder Man. So, that I learned something, thanks, Deborah. Um... Now, I'd like to know what the symbiosis bit was all about, if you don't Presented mind. in the most confusing way possible. When STC's brief photo shoot is over, the Fairbrass brothers offer a firm handshake as they rush off. Meanwhile, continuing in the vein of the biology lesson, guitarist <laughs> Rob Manzoli shows us a photo or two of a fan with the band's name tattooed on her anatomy. No further mention of which bit of anatomy we're talking yeah. about, so we can assume Such it's a, a rude bit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Hope she looks out for the free gift in this issue. <laughs> hey. ah! oh. uh, what we've got here is a piece of hype writing that's so you know, if there's a if there's a slider, it's so far into the hype and excitement side that it's quite far away from the makes a lot of sense side. Yeah. It's impenetrable. <laughs> And and imagine if you didn't know who Wright said for Edward. <laughs> <laughs> 
yes. Oh, it's a weird old page. It's a weird, weird, weird old page. But you know what I probably actually thought was a little weirder back in 1994 was this one on the facing page. Just a madbird. Just a It's the title. It's Poppin' Twinby Rainbow Bell Adventures. Yeah, it's a mouthful, isn't it? I, I remember, I, I saw the page and I was like, oh yeah, I remembered it because of how much of a mouthful it was. And, mm. and also, it's weird that it's a SNES game being advertised in the Sonic Oh magazine. yeah, I never noticed that. I assumed it was also on Mega Drive, but no, you're right. It's just, That's a, just SNES a SNES game. game. And, I mean, and, and <laughs> one of the praises here, 90% from Total Magazine, challenging, playable, utterly hat stand, eat your heart out, Sonic. You can't publish oh. that in Sonic the Comic. Wow. That's illegal. I don't confess to remembering the phrase utterly hat stand. I quite like it. I'm going to start saying it. <laughs> it does sound like a very boomer bit of lexicon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't. I never played this game, but um, looking at the screenshots, I quite like it. Oh, yeah. It looks like one of those colourful, very sort of anime-looking kind mm. of games. It's uh, it's actually the, the, the first, I don't know if it was the only, but certainly the first action platformer in a series of, you know, like auto-scrolling bullet hell type shooter games. Oh, is it one of those types? I think so. And what the what the advert is here is it's a full-page picture that, that... It's one of those Japanese adverts for a game that if you were told it was a screenshot from an anime, you'd believe it. Yeah. Because it's got that slight blur to it, apart from everything else, as well as the art style. Oh, this has to be a still from an, an, an animation used for an advert or something. There's that's, no way that's just a drawing, surely. Well, that's what it looks like to me, but also it's laid out like a page advert for a draw. I mean, I can't imagine it the is. TV frame around that. Yeah. It could be the package art, I suppose. But no, then it's, yeah, God, well, it really, really, really looks like a, a, a screenshot. It? Yeah. From, from It looks like an animation cell. Yeah. There was there was a lot of this about... I, do you know, honestly, the earliest version of this I remember was we had a, a series of collectible sort of children's encyclopedia type books and they were illustrated with this little boy character who I now would describe as a chibi anime drawing. Clearly, so you know, this must have been just something that came out in Japan first and then they translated it and released it here because yeah. he was doing all these different, you know, one drawing of him would be him with a magnifying glass looking at something, another one he'd be dressed as a doctor, another one he'd be sad, things like that. And they had that same blur to them as if they were from something it's a, it's a strange form of print that I, I guess just existed in japan i don't know don't know either but i like the look of the game yeah shinobi, shinobi. one two three shinobi the art of war part four written we assume by alan mckenzie art we presume by john howard and letters probably by ellie deville yeah that's that's two issues in a row now the credits are missing <laughs> isn't it weird you expect them to be on the last page but they're just not <sighs> After cutting their ropes so they can't follow him, Musashi evades the Neo Zed ninja by diving into a ventilation shaft, remembering another story shared by his sensei that advised getting so close to one's enemy that they were unable to defend themselves. Musashi locates a lone Zed ninja, knocks him out, and dons his uniform to hide amongst the Zed's ranks. Unfortunately, the deception does not appear to work, as steel doors soon descend from the ceiling, trapping Musashi in a hallway. I enjoyed this one. This is a yeah, like yeah. Fun. Yes. I did have a little trouble reading the action on the first page. Yes, 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 Chris. What happens? What does happen? So the first panel is a really cool explosive panel. Yeah. He's, he's kicking those guys. They're still on the, the ropes from last time. He's kicking the guys. It's great. Next one. What happens is he cuts the ropes below the ninjas. And Jigsaw must mean you. Three ninjas have come down in the shaft. After. Right. So he cuts the ropes of two of them below them. 
so they can uh, and then he jumps over onto the third rope further down so he's cut the other two ropes so that they can't follow him down any further uh, he jumps oh. onto the third rope then cuts it below himself sending the other guy presumably falling to his death thought he didn't kill and uh, <laughs> and then because he has more space he's lower down than the other ninjas he's got room to maneuver he flings himself over to a vent in the side of oh, the uh, of the thank you. but yeah but i did have trouble reading it at first despite yeah. the fact that he is visibly uh, uh the panel is angled as such that the character is falling down uh whatever it is about it it looks as if he's jumping upwards i'll tell you what it was for me it was that having uh, and, and i confess you've read this better than me i didn't notice that he was cutting all the other ropes below the point on them that he and the ninjas were at that but i could have figured that out by looking more carefully the next panel he takes a dive or jumps and it, it it's it is kind of ambiguous but there's a ninja yeah. above him then a ninja and i read it as the ninja from the previous panel because it just follows on but a ninja looks down below him goes oh no while above him are joe's feet yeah and i can't figure out why and then he goes no and so it's like joe let himself fall down below the ninja then was above him is so i guess that third panel is a jump but drawn upside down. Yeah, well, no, he, I mean, he, he's he's dropping. It looks like he's jumping, but he's dropping from the rope he, is dropping. he was initially holding to the third ninja's rope. So why then is his feet above the ninja? Because the that ninja, the, because the third ninja is lower down than him. There are three uh, ninjas. Okay, they're so each there on are. a rope. Two right. are level with Masashi. One is further down, coming at him from above. So, right. So he only so he cuts two ropes so that he two ninjas two, survive, so they, but yeah. too high. Yeah, and they're then he, too high, and then he jumps down lower than they can reach him. But and then the, the he drops, third nin- the, he drops the third, the third guy by yeah. cutting below his feet. Yeah, that's a complicated maneuver. It I feel is. as if there's a version of this where he could have left them all above him. Possibly, that's a bit confusing. That's a yeah, bit complicated. I had to go back for a second pass before I deciphered the extent of the action. There. I went for three and four, and I didn't succeed in deciphering it. That aside, the we're we're back to a single page flashback this time. No, I started the flashback and I was a little annoyed because oh, it it looked like we were getting another story about how honor didn't matter because <laughs> yeah. the way the way the flashback starts is musashi sensei says my sensei was not a samurai but a peasant a farmer he was not born to bushido the warrior's way and was not hampered by its constrictions all that was important was the winning so i thought yeah. well, we learned this twice already but it's the specific technique and i do i enjoy this bit with like it's the flashback within a flashback where Sensei tells the story of how his teacher was accosted by a samurai one day, and I love this line of dialogue. You peasant, why do you carry a sword against the laws of the son of heaven? <laughs> That's good. And then he, so the uh, the sensei sensei, rather than confront this man who had challenged him, ran. And the samurai gave chase, and then the sensei sensei simply stopped short with the sword out so that the man couldn't stop and ran and impaled himself on the blade. Yeah. So it's a lesson about luring your enemy in so close that they cannot defend themselves when you strike. And Musashi then implements that in the present day of the story by stealing the uniform of a Zed ninja and hiding amongst their ranks so that he is close to his enemy and can strike them without them knowing. Yes. It's good. It works. It's the it first is. one that has really worked clearly since the first issue. And they don't spell it out, though, is funny. though. This is one that respects the intelligence of its readers to put that 
together. It doesn't yeah. require a narration to explain that this is the relevance of this story to this. Mm. But it makes clear sense. There's none of the what we had to do the last two chapters going, well, I guess if you look at it this way. No, yeah. it's clear what's going on here. Though it is still weird that there's no mention of the art of war again in this one. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Like, like it's, it's still about techniques in fighting it's a theme but I feel the fact that starting the first two issues with literal art of war stuff and then dropping it halfway mm. through has muddled that idea somehow. well I wonder if the writer just realised he doesn't know quite as many quotes from art of war as he thought because that's, <laughs> that's probably, probably when, when he started yeah. writing it that, that crossed my mind I was like oh this is a cool idea but if it was me I would soon hit upon a, a limit to the things I could repeat about this book that I'm aware of and I just assumed that well you remember we, we weren't even entirely sure if the one in the first well, true. was a real lesson from the art of war. Yeah, true. Yeah. So I, I sort of assumed that uh, he knew a lot more about it than I did, and and it, I'm sure he does. But yes, he may have come to the to the limit of that. Than than you or I, perhaps. Uh, but yes. uh, that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> it doesn't, does it? We we have the internet. We could look it up. <laughs> uh, he didn't. Ha- have not done. Could do. <laughs> could do. That's not the point. I, I really do. I really liked and and found it perhaps easier to follow the action on the next page than for the last few issues there's been just you know some mucking about and injuring but this one i was a lot more invested in the thing of him creeping into the room going down behind the table while the enemy ninja comes in and can't see him because he's going all the way around the table following the enemy ninja around the table and then jumping up and clocking him from behind that was firstly it was just easy to follow secondly it was there was the sense memory of having done that in <laughs> school games of hide and seek, you know, where you've, isn't it, isn't it a wonderful feeling when another kid is looking for you and you're actually following behind them? <laughs> and then of course, it, you know, he puts the costume on and there's a, there's a brief moment where you're like, why is he doing that? Why is he doing those hand movements around his face? And then you realise <laughs> he's nicked his clothes, hasn't he? He's put his clothes on. Yeah, that was a, a really good page. his own clothes? Um, yeah. It'd be probably be quite so. rustly for a ninja, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> for a ninja, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it turns out that this fella who he's knocked out is is um is a, a complete dweeb. <laughs> and and, and every, all the other ninjas on his squad make fun of him. <laughs> we thought you'd gotten lost again. Go that way and try not to trip over your own feet. <laughs> yeah, and then you, there's a caption that says, Musashi wonders why he had to pick the worst ninja in Japan to impersonate. <laughs> aww, aww. I'm a Kenji fan now. I want him back. I know, right? I want to know his story. But then, yeah. you know, you get the thing at the end there where the, the doors come down and it's like, and then he wonders whether his impersonation was as successful as he had believed. And, you know, maybe Kenji was all right and they just cottoned on to the fact that yeah. he was in disguise and they were just coming up with the that as an excuse to make him go that way and not suspect anything. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, this one's a better a better chapter of Shinobi than we've seen in the last couple. No, Not that it's ever you know bad but this this one seems to accomplish the the themes of the serial and the, the storytelling devices a little better than the last couple have managed even if there's a you know bit of slightly hard to read art at the very start which is unusual for shinobi so i wouldn't hold it against it it's a return of the special reserve games club uh, page full of tiny print adverts for things that you can send off for that that feel as if they may be uh, slightly cheaper than anywhere else for reasons that don't necessarily feel completely above board. Fortunately, <laughs> sans anime porno VHSs this time around. 
Yeah, that's right, because there's too many controllers. Yes. And there's no room for any anime. Including oh. the Triax Turbo Touch 360 that we were just talking about in the news zone. Oh, yeah, the one with the rubbery thumb sensor. Yeah. yeah. Touch-sensitive joypad with auto-fire. Um, they're very nice to look at, very colourful, very bright. There's a big... Um, there's a, uh, The Quick Joy foot pedal honestly looks like a, a toddler's toy. Yeah. It's got these three great big pedals, a yellow one, a red one, and a green one, and then some sort of blue thing as well. And... Uh, it says it transfers joystick functions to foot pedals, ideal for driving and flying games. Can be used with the freewheel steering wheel. I appreciate that little explanation because I had no idea what it was. <laughs> no, it, I mean it, it looks like a child's toy to go with yeah. some kind of music peripheral or something. Yep. Like you, would, you know, you would hit it and it would make a jingly noise, and another one would make a splat noise or something. And there's uh, other than that, many, many differently shaped controllers, none of which I ever entertained because, of course. I knew you? the games were built for the Mega Drive controller and I already had the Mega Drive controller and I didn't have any fighting games, so didn't need the six button. Didn't need the six button. No. Now, the other thing that interests me about this, and which is why I'm actually bothering to cover this rather than just skipping over it, mm-hmm. is because in the Mega Drive games section, which is a whole block of tiny little text just listing names of games, usually when I see these in a magazine, and in fact I've used one as an example in my Dave's First Game video of like an impenetrable massive block of names of games that you could never possibly work your way through. Usually, I just don't know what most of them are, and they're just random terms. But I've realised that as we've been going through STC, it's filled in a lot of the gaps. So as I look at this, I do recognise what a lot of these games are. Thunder Force 4. I know what that is now. Um, Winter Olympics. Yeah, you know, well, that, you that could have made a good guess as to what Winter Olympics was. <laughs> I could have, but I know exactly what it is now. I know True. which particular game it is, and I know that it isn't good. Um, well, apart from just being a Winter Olympics game. Um, you know, uh, Zombies there. Skitchin is there. Yeah, Skitchin jumped out at me. Yeah, Otifant is there. Do you remember that? The, the German cartoon it. characters from yep. that comedian? So yeah, so as we, I am gaining an education by doing this podcast. I'm looking at these names and I'm recognizing quite a lot more of them than I would have done before. Oh, and I wish because after those games, it says for a free twelve-page color catalog, please call o two seven nine six zero zero two zero four. And I'd love to have a look at one of those now. There's just something about looking at old adverts of things that oh, were yeah. they're, they're going. Look how new this is. Who didn't love a catalog in 1994? Who doesn't love a catalogue? No, who doesn't love the... Well, I mean, I can't say as I pour over the Argos catalogue the way I used to. They're, they're not what they were, let's be honest. They're but, not, but I'll tell you what is. There is a website, and I wish I could remember what the URL is, but there's a website that catalogues all oh, the yeah, Argos no, catalogues. Oh, yeah, I know. And you can mean, flip yeah. through them all. Yeah. Oh, that's gorgeous. You oh. find the one from your favourite year, and there's... I was looking through it going like, oh, that's where I got that from then. Oh, that's where I got that from. Turns out Mum was going through the Argos catalogue that year. Of course, I say no, like, they're, they're not as good as they used to be but obviously that's because i've seen all the stuff on the internet already oh, you know God, uh, yeah. but back then like this was some of the, the sometimes the first time you'd ever be seeing pictures of these toys anywhere when you flip through the argos catalog and it was there at your fingertips you could circle it yes. and your mum would have to get it for you for christmas they'd have to that's how it worked right <laughs> of course now when i look at either old or new argos catalogs i'm in it for the property porn areas you know the here's what furniture you could have if you owned a home imagine <laughs> <laughs> not me <laughs> i also like up at the top where they're giving you the deals for mega drives mega cds it says for a pixel perfect picture choose a scott television and they then advertise just such television and yes scott guys back in the 90s scott was the hdmi of the day not available in america but here we had this odd long 
conflagration of pins in the back of our TVs, and that was how you plugged your Mega Drive in in stereo, and with a very sharp picture indeed. Too sharp, as I understand it, it actually uh, uh, ate into the effect of some of those water transparencies that you had in the uh, Angel Island Zone and so on, so not perfect. Oh, yeah, okay. And Green Hill Zone. It's a Sonic Q&A special in the yeah. Q-Zone, uh, so honestly... This is all largely burned into our minds. Yeah. These are yeah. all the famous codes to get the debug and get supersonic, get the level select and everything. I wonder if I need to look up what 1965-917 code is. Nope. Turns out I just said it. It's nope, in my you, head. You just said but it. But at least they present it correctly in this one. Because in the last one they said 1965 and then 717. That's right. They remember? did mess it up, didn't they? They got it wrong, yeah. Then they do have... these Specifically, it doesn't say it, but this is Sonic 2. Does it not say? I don't think so. It just says it's a Sonic game uh, Q&A special but but these are for Sonic 2 on the Mega Drive and uh, and the Game Gear and Master System and yeah, once right. again the Master System has the most arcane cheat code like that yes, we talked about yes what is going before. on with the Master System yeah. because as I understand it the point of cheat codes in those days wasn't always just because it would be cool if we had cheat codes it was like that was what the developers used to test that everything was fine. They, they needed to test, let's say they need to test if the Starlight Zone is working right on a real Mega Drive oh. on the actual cartridge. They would be able to just type that straight in and go straight there. Oh, I never knew that. Oh, well, that's that why debug so mode, sense. you see. So it's for their convenience, but the, this is not convenient. Yeah, yeah. Read it to me, Chris. Uh, yes, uh, this is a level select code for the Master System. To activate, first make sure your machine is turned off. Plug your control pad into port 2. Inconv- already inconvenient. Uh, and press up, left diagonal, and buttons 1 and 2 simultaneously. Now, now, are we still doing... Yes, we are. We're doing this while the console is off. Yeah, while the console is off. Turn the console on. Yeah, And what? keeping what? all of the aforementioned buttons pressed on your joypad. Oh, okay. First of all, I think you need somebody else there with you at that point, because that's a two-hander. Yeah. Um, well, mate, well, you can probably do it with your toe. <laughs> You're very flexible. You're a child. <laughs> Wait until Sonic runs completely across the screen. Let go and plug the controller into port <laughs> one and press button two twice, twice? and the level select will appear. Flip What a pain in the ass that is. Up, down, left, right, A, start. <laughs> but what I want to know is, would that be achievable if you simply had two controllers all plugged in all the time or do you actually have to swap back and forth with one i assume two would work maybe i don't know that's a good question it's just interesting that they're treating it as if you of course only have one controller maybe but i don't did, know did, what did the master system come exactly with? did it come with one did the mega drive i had two controllers but i can't remember if it i had two with... controllers as well but now i don't remember yeah yeah so that may have been just sensible parents being sensible and getting us a second controller so hmm. that we don't fight and squabble there were four of us. Ah, so still squabbling away. How many were you? We were two. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there was still a certain amount of squabbling. You know, when you oh, jumped yeah. over each other too many times in the special zone in Sonic 2, there was a bit of squabbling. Oh, God, that's <laughs> the worst. I've just been playing a bit of Sonic 2 the other day, and I was like, Tails! <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it's, it's even worse, isn't it, when it's you and your brother, and you're badoy, badoy, oh, badoy, yeah, badoy over each other. Stop it! <laughs> <laughs> I want to get in the front. <laughs> yeah, no. If you would just also you stop, but be in the back, then the same effect would be achieved. But no. <laughs> Wonderboy Wonder in Ghost World Part One. 
written by Mark Isles, art by Boyan Jukach, who is now credited under that name. He was MDJ Boyan for the first strip. And letters by Steve Potter, arriving at the Skyrock Mountains to investigate reports of ghost attacks. Cheyenne is immediately set upon by a flock of ghostly pterodactyls, which he dispatches with his fire magic, ruining his sword in the process. He's soon met by cosmologist Lookout, who takes him to the mysterious stone steps beneath the mountains from which the dinosaur ghosts are emerging, just as another one of the spectres appears and attacks them. So, Wonderboy's back, Chris. Yeah, here's Wonderboy again. Hooray! We can't say we were super looking forward to it, but it's actually not a bad first chapter. Yeah, I, I quite enjoyed this uh, this first part. It, I, I've been warned not to get too excited. Back at the end of Wonderboy and Demon World, he said he was going off to the Skyrock Mountains to look for ghosts. Yep. No mention of dinosaurs, but it is so obvious that um, <laughs> this get that Jurassic Park money. And fair enough, no argument there at all. But it's also the depiction of ghosts as made of weird, slimy, jelly ectoplasm that's so Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, I read it and I was like, well, why are they made of jelly? And then Lookout says, that's not jelly, that's ectoplasm. And I'm, but, but Cheyenne specifically says, first time I've seen ghosts made of jelly. Right. Which Thereby implies implying he's, he's met ghosts, there are other ghosts that aren't yeah. like this already. Yeah. So, you know, whatever. Doesn't seem right. <laughs> I was intrigued by the setting. I like the setting. Yes, the setting's pretty good. You've got what seems to be, and, and correct me if I'm misreading this, but some sort of big plateau in space with mountains just coming off it that have formed their own little space islands. Yeah. And on that, there are ghost pterodactyls and other dinosaurs, and a lighthouse with massive rainbows just blasting out of the of the windows. This is a cool setting, and it made me feel like, oh, if this is, the, if this is STC's direction for Wonderboy going forward as a means of coming up with wild settings and just putting Wonderboy in adventures there, I could get behind that, even though I know yes. that it doesn't really last. No, I'm definitely with you. I, I like the setting. It's not the kind of dull swords and dragons mm. fantasy that we've seen before, swords yeah. and dragons and demons. This character, Lookout, is a cosmologist. It's cosmologists and philosophers and poets who live on the Skyrock Mountain. Yes. So it's all artisans and and, uh, and mathematicians who live versus out here. dinosaurs. <laughs> yeah. So she speaks of it with a reverence that I think comes across. You know. Uh, oh yeah. It, it convinces me, and it sounds like it's convinced yeah. you as well that it is that it's cool. Um, what does she say? Behind us, monster world floats like a giant plate in the void. In front of us are the sky rock mountains, broken from the rim of monster world in an ancient catastrophe. So it's as if monster world is like a disc world or something yeah. and the bits of that have broken off the edge of it float as mountains freeform mountain islands in the void of space and nothing and that's yeah that's good i'm, I'm very into that yeah and then she lives in the light tower like the lighthouse at the edge of the world that yeah. warns travelers from beyond so that they don't crash into the mountains of space oh. I'm, I'm very oh. into that and I, that's well good there's a yeah. sort of a I mean, I think it's just because there is a scene at the end set in space with these, you know, asteroids going everywhere in a tall tower, but I'm getting never-ending story vibes off this setting. Yeah, it's, that's, it's, that's a good comparison. It's partly just because of the sheer imaginativeness of it. This isn't just a fantasy place just copied yeah. from other things. It, it really is 
really cool. And she travels around on the back of a giant bird, stuff like that. Yeah, with a basket that she sits in. And then there are ghost dinosaurs. And also that, yeah. <laughs> so uh, they go down to the base of the mountain where the lighthouse is, and there are these floating stone stairs that lead under the mountain. And it's up these steps that the dinosaurs are coming, and one just walks up behind them yeah. uh, in the course of it. Just wanders up. And I think most of the story is set now in the ghost world at the bottom of the steps. Um, right, I wasn't sure from the pictures here where those steps go, where the what bit the dinosaur is supposed to come out of. You don't really get to see yes, the, an it, opening. That's not a very well staged shot because yeah. we have Cheyenne and Lookout come down these steps carved into the mountain, uh, but those are just ordinary stairs carved into the mountain that take you down to the bottom of the mountain. And then the stairs that the dinosaur comes up are floating obelisks that are just like that yes. are arranged that form a staircase which lead down further beyond the bottom of the mountain again. And again, that's not particularly clear. This is not well laid out. Like like even even just like like for instance like look out the, the second to last panel of the strip is look out pointing off into the distance going see those steps and she is pointing literally in the complete opposite direction to where the steps <laughs> yeah. are in the panel it's not good storytelling visually it's that's and also like the idea that she could have somehow missed the dinosaur that's coming up behind them <laughs> it is a tyrannosaurus rex isn't it it's yeah. not just like one little chickeny one and also it just has to based on the layout of the panel two seconds beforehand yeah. it literally just passed in front of her so yeah. it's again it's not it's not well laid out as as, as, a, as a particular bit of action staging again but um, I'm willing to let that be for the, the sense of awe and phantasmagoria that this story itself creates. Look at the Kirby yeah. crackle in the background of this panel here where they're flying through space and everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's lovely. The, there's, the art is a mixed bag here. I, mm. That sort of thing is nice. I quite like the ghost dinosaurs on the first page. And to be honest, to be honest, Shion doesn't look as bad this time around either because the artist has now maybe got a bit more of a handle on, on his version of the character on how yeah. he wants to render the character character even though it's still not a the translation from japanese art style and game to comic that you or i would have definitely have chosen to do with the character presented yeah. with the visuals of the game as they exist yeah it's for the honestly kind of the blue hair is really the only clue that this comes from something japanese at all yeah. there's it does not resemble wonder boy in the slightest but that's good for this artist yeah. because it means that it's more comfortable and and they're able to draw a, a comic more if you see what i mean but the uh, the creatures that are on display in this one yeah. the ghost dinosaurs and the bird and even you know even the entire setting they yeah. evoke something the never ending story is a really good comparison actually Dave. that's the kind of sort of kids fantasy illogical world type stuff yeah. versus what the last series gave us where like half of it was set in in a monster world and was just playing around with the game stuff and even the demons themselves even grimoman I still can't say it. It doesn't come out naturally. <laughs> the Demon Lord, whatever his name may be, even though we know that the design of him was lifted from some piece of Japanese art, even though the character wasn't, the whole strip was, was kind of trapped in that sort of artistic no man's land. Whereas this one, it's really just shine on himself. The artist is now playing with things in this strip that, that he has a much better handle on. Yeah. So I would really be interested to see what else this artist does. Well, we had terrible trouble finding anything else, or anything about him in the course yeah. of the first one, I've, so we don't know. I haven't found anything more about him, and it doesn't help that there is 
a sportsman of some description called Boyandu Kitch. Oh, that'll not help at all. Same name, but with an I instead of the final A. And of course, Google insists that that's what I meant, no matter how many quotes I put around it. Of course. Yeah, so, so uh, you know, it's it's actually quite a surprisingly strong uh, opener in, in the yeah. grand scheme of things that perhaps we weren't expecting. I don't... Yeah, I, I mean, I remember some stuff about where this one goes, and it goes in a goofier oh. direction than I would have liked, as I, as I recall, but... Eh, to be honest, this one stirred some stuff in me that I wasn't expecting. And, uh, yeah, enjoyed it more than I thought. I'm, I'm, I'm a little more interested to see where this one goes this yeah. time around now. Yeah. Good start. Speedlines. What is in the Speedlines this week? The highlight is the two pictures. They are the best, yeah. They're well good. They're two of the best pictures we've had. Yeah, one is a photo from Louise Cooper of London Colney, uh, which is uh, her with all her sonic swag. <laughs> yeah, and it's a it's quite a swaggy collection. Yeah, she's buried under it. She's got the cuddly toys. Yeah. She's got the two games. Yeah. She's got a big stack of Sonic the Comics. She's got a hat. She's got a jumper. Is that a bike helmet or a ball? Um, oh, I think it's a ball. Oh, oh, it could be a helmet. I don't know. I want to say ball. Yeah. I think it's a ball. Well, it's one of the two anyway. And there's yeah. a poster up on our wall there too. And the poster is the cover art for the second game book. It is, yeah. Yeah, I can't remember the name of the book, but that's what it is. But also presumably a, a separate, you know, piece of Sonic art that you got yeah. posters and things of. And so I'm really peering now and going, okay, what's she got that I can't see? Because look on her hat, she's got at least three big badges. Oh yeah, you see that? There's one big badge of what looks like, you know, that picture of Sonic One. You know, him in his pose. That's on the right. The one on the left might be a tails. It's got orange on it. And the one in the middle seems to be a shaped enamel pin. So. Mm-hmm. That's a special one. In fact, am I imagining it, or could that shape on the right of the pin even be a bottle of Coke? I don't know if there was a oh, tie Oh, in. yeah, okay, it's kind of crystallising now. Yeah, you could be right. Uh, but then, I may only be seeing it because you've said it to me now, for I, I mean, really sure. couldn't see diddly. I think her Mega Drive is also sitting in her lap there, too, with the games. I believe so, yes. And then there's one last thing that I spotted. Oh? On the top left of that Mega Drive, we have a Dr. Robotnik figure. Oh, so we do. Didn't even see, see him. see that? Yeah, look at o- him there. Original-style Robotnik. He's got one fist up. I don't recognise which Robotnik it is. It could be the one from my beloved Sonic Crackers crackers from that year. But something about it seems a little bit shinier and a little bit more rounded than the one I'm thinking of. So I actually think it might not be that. In which case, there's a Robotnik figure I know nothing of and knew nothing of and would have loved to have had. So you've impressed me there, Louise. Well done, Louise. Get in touch. Tell us where you got that Robotnik from. As always, if you're out there. Yeah. Also, well done to uh, Keith Webb from Stoughton Lane in oh, Leicester, who's done a work. lovely bit of art here, labelled the uh, the Hill Zone Gang. We've got yeah. uh, Tails, Amy, and Supersonic, and a whole big illustrated background of the Emerald Hill Zone and everything. Yeah, it's a lovely bit of it's work. Probably, really probably good. I would go so far as to say probably the single best piece of art that yep. uh, the, yep. the, the Letters page has published so far. Definitely, I'm going to say that. that It's it's so good. It's all done in colouring pencils. It's the, got a full background. Everyone looks great. Amy is completely on model to the yep. game, but has the STC hair. Yep. It's great. It's really, really good. Keith Webb. 
Um, yeah, nothing too thrilling in the letters. Otherwise, there's one from Carl Wright from County Tyrone here in Northern Ireland who wants to know if the Sega buses will be coming there. And unfortunately, Megadroid says the, the schedule hadn't been finalised when this issue went to press, but I don't think they ever did come to Northern Ireland, which is a shame. David Walton of Colwyn Bay asks, can you tell me when Sonic the Hedgehog 3 is coming out for the Master System? Well, good question, <laughs> Ooh, David. Bad luck there, Dave. Yeah, although they did get, like, loads of games, didn't they? They got oh, sure. your Triple, triple Trouble. And your Sonic and chaos, chaos and all that, but they didn't get. They never got three, did they? There was never a they version. Never of got three a version for, of three. For Master System. I mean, it's hardly surprising given that. We're true, you know. given our contempt for the Master System. I mean, it's by this not time. on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> but you could argue that the eight-bit versions of Sonic's one and two are just as disparate games as, say, Chaos or Triple Trouble are to three. Fair point, indeed. Fair point, indeed. I guess they just didn't want to market them as that because Sonic Three was such a thing unto itself. Yeah. What about Chris Candler? Chris Candler from Alsley Park Coventry is full of questions. Uh, When will it be possible to order back issues of STC? From the very next issue, says Megadroid. Cards were previewed back in issue three. I don't remember the cards being previewed in issue three. Do you? I don't either. I was hoping you would, but no, I don't. No, I don't don't have a physical copy of issue three to go check. I can look it up digitally. Wait, ooh. Was there some sort of like a non-ST? I have. I've got it right behind me. Let's find out. Go grab it. Yeah, let's find out. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. I've found it. Go tell me all. The Panini Sega Super Play cards. Oh, it's an advert page. I didn't. I was working off of scans then, so I didn't see it before. That's why I didn't recognize it. Yeah. There they are. Yeah. Well, they're Panini Super Play. So are they trading cards or are they? Yes, just I like, think they're like, trading cards. They're, they're pictured here in. Not a trading, trading cards. Card. Uh, I meant to say trading card game, but it's those oh. probably didn't exist yet, did they? It's only 1994. Not that I recall. I think you traded them in the sense that, you know, there may have been a, a very basic top trumps type thing. But yeah. You, you, mostly, if you traded them, it was not because of the rules of a game. It was because of which ones you had and wanted. You needed. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're, they're presented here in one of those binders, but uh, that's all I really know about. Uh, okay, I don't remember them at all. Even, I don't remember even discussing them. Um, oh, did you have your physical copies for that stitch? I can't tell you. Possibly not. Yeah, maybe we were just stuck on scans, so we never yeah, saw the page. So we may yeah. never have covered that advert before. Oh, oh, okay, fair enough. Well, there you go. So this can all stay in. So um, Patreon <laughs> bonus episode, we'll find out what which ones we didn't yeah, have, and we'll, we'll do go the back adverts. and look at all the pages of adverts. <laughs> Although... This is familiar. I certainly talked about this, if you didn't. Oh, uh, yeah, t-shirts. I do I remember I you talking one. about the t-shirts, yeah. I think I had that one. Yeah, maybe yeah. we did then. Well... We'll have to just go back and check episode three. So, yes, so they are indeed previewed in issue three. Well, Megadroid says they're not produced by them, so. <laughs> so yeah. which is a very abrupt answer, but watch out for your free Eternal Champion stickers next issue, which is also from Panini. Um, why don't you print cheats and profiles on one page side and a poster on the other? Um, and then Megadroid deflects by suggesting he go and buy Sonic the poster, Mike. <laughs> yep. I mean, I don't even think that's a deflection. That fairly, fairly, that is kind of what he wants. Well, I presume the suggestion that he's coming out with is I would like to remove the posters from the comic without sacrificing content on the ah, other side. Ah, yes. Oh, yes. Good interpretation so there. Can you please put pages with words on the other side? <laughs> is what he's asking, and not comics. And Megadroid is like, well, if you want to spend more for fewer pages please by all means <laughs> but he doesn't as we reach his cheekiest question why not put more than 36 pages in each issue <laughs> and megadroid says good idea i'll just suggest it to the humans who think they're in charge 
What? No, it wasn't my idea. Wait, what are you doing with that spanner? Hey, Humes, I know how busy you are already. And stop! Not like Megadroid to take any guff from the Humes. <laughs> so that's a no. Then one of those, just to, just to round it out, one of those weird little throwaway ones that you wonder why they put it in from Aaron yeah. Turner in Fairy Hill County, Durham, who wants to know when Wonder Boy's coming back and Megadroid jokes, mm, I don't think it... Oh, wait, wait, what's that? And it's like, we've already got past it. We know he's back. When yeah. did you put it in the comic? Why put that one in? I do not understand. I don't think you get the hundreds of letters you claim you do. <laughs> Okay, that brings us to the end. Uh, next issue, as we've just learned, yep. yet another free gift. Stick it to the champions with Eternal Champion stickers. A free starter set of Panini's new Eternal Champion sticker collection. Plus a chance to win complete sets and albums. Yes, these aren't, don't imagine characters, you know, cut around. These are the square, yes, swappable, yes, collectible, collectible uh, album-fillable Panini-style stickers. Number which, uh, ones that, yeah, that go in a sticker album, not just random no. spoke ones created for the comic, no. Did you ever complete a sticker album's worth of stickers? I completed one sticker album's worth of stickers. Guess which one? Sonic. Indeed. <laughs> of course. <laughs> also coming up at... No, oh, weird, a, a big silence. Wow, that shouldn't be there. What idiot edited this podcast? It was me, that's what, idiot. Be better if we could hire someone a bit more professional to do it, wouldn't it? Because then, apart from anything else, I would have time to do Patreon bonus episodes with Chris, which currently we can't do because we don't have time because I have to do all the editing. So, we've set up a Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash stctp. If you go there, you'll be joining the surprising handful of people who've actually joined already, even though there are, as I said before, no rewards just yet. The plan is to give you rewards, but to do that, we need enough money to be able to pay somebody to edit stuff so that I've got time to do the Patreon rewards instead of just editing all the time. It's a little bit of a Wild Stallions Van Halen situation. But... We're getting there. We're genuinely getting there. So if you like this podcast and you want it to be better or you want secret special stuff that other people don't get, then go and do that, please. Back to the podcast now. Wait, I don't have a better place to put this. Um, Falero has done another STCTP animated. So go to his Twitter, F-A-U-L-E-R-R-O. He's great. He's done three of them now. You're going to love him. Okay, back to the podcast now. Also coming up in issue 23, uh, Sonic takes on the Pirates of the Mystic Cave. The Eternal Ooh. Champions battle in the present and the future. Okay, they were doing that already. All right, I'll, I'll let you off, though. <laughs> and Shinobi and Wonder Boy celebrate Easter with Dr. Robotnik oh, in yes. Sonic the Comic number 23 on sale Saturday the 2nd of April. Oh, 1.10. They didn't need to say anything about eggs. Celebrate Easter with Dr. Robotnik. It all yeah, you, you just up. knew. You, you got it. <laughs> and that is issue 22. Another very important step along the way. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, we could say that about just about every issue for the next six issues worth sure because we, we are in it now folks we are in yeah. it now and um some of the some of the other strips that will be joining us soon we're four chapters deep on shinobi and eternal champions so those will be wrapping up in a few issues oh time. yes they will yeah some of the stuff that's coming down the pipe <laughs> is going to be some of the, the the coolest most lore centric stuff that'll shape uh, the direction of the comic going forward and some of it will be the flat-out barmiest stuff that the comic will ever <laughs> do. 
Oh, 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 is that when we're getting the old pirates? That's when we're getting the pirates, yeah. Oh, oh I can't wait to find out if that makes oh. any sense. And I don't mean the Mystic Cave. Well, yeah, lots of different <laughs> sorts of pirates coming up. So pirate fans, stay tuned. I, no, you know what? It's not worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Are you, you going to be rejoining are, us in two and weeks' if time? And you be looking for that podcast, you can find it on <laughs> Apple Podcast. No. So if you want to find our episode about issue number 20, You'll be able to find that in two weeks' time on Apple Podcasts. And if you get it from there, as we always say, please do leave us a review because we appreciate it and we appreciate you. And if you appreciate us, then why not come and listen to us at our website, which is stctp.wigglehee.com. Weird website URL. My fault. (laughs) (laughs) What's also weird is the fact that for Twitter, we were able to get at Sonic Podcast. That wasn't taken somehow, but yep, you can follow the podcast there. We always put the links to new episodes and retweeting uh, stuff from our listeners as well. Oh, and we must say thank you this week as well before we go to ISE underscore art on Twitter who drew some just, just some, some lovely little drawings of me and Dave. Yeah, that's really nice. Hey, boomers, it's really nice. So, so thanks very much. We've had a few like pieces of like, you know, art and animations and stuff and um, oh, and Twitter user uh, Lesbian Nautica, who designed our logo, uh, is also making T-shirts of that available on yes. the Red Redbubble store. So if you go over to Twitter, you'll find the link for that there. If you want to show your love for the podcast in your attire, <laughs> and you can also find me and Dave individually on Twitter. Mm. I am at Chris McFeely. I am at Demon Tomato Dave. Our opening theme tune for this podcast is synchronized by Sonic the Comic the Band, who you can find and patronize at. SonicTheComic.bandcamp.com where our theme tune is available. But this, and we, is and are Sonic the Comic the Podcast. Yeah, we am. <laughs> and we am see you in two week time. <laughs> Fortnite! <laughs> what was that? So, pirate fans and others, when you're looking for that, you can find it on Apple Podcasts or... (laughs) Sorry, sorry. You know that thing where if you get a really bad connection on Skype, it won't just, like, stretch it out. It'll actually repeat bits. Well, it just did that. It did one of those. And it took, you can find that. And it repeated it twice. And so what came out was... When you're looking for that, you can can find it on Apple Podcasts. I mean, it's true, but you shouldn't say it.